It has already been such a glorious day for us to be together. The beautiful hymns we've just sung, and indeed what a glorious day that shall be. The one of which we just sang, the glorious and the tremendous thought it shall be to in fact ring the praises of God forevermore with all the problems, cares, and troubles of the world left behind. It's a bit interesting to think about the title of the lesson, how it so nicely meets with those ideas, offering God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We're aware of the fact that this coming Thursday is that holiday set aside in America and for other parts of the world too as the Thanksgiving holiday. It's somewhat, of course, uniquely meaningful, I suppose, for our country, given its origin, the nature of a few hundred years ago, and the blessing that they appreciated following the difficult winter and the matters to be seen concerning it. But might we today also make note of the following fact, that Thanksgiving is also mentioned pretty often in the Bible. Inasmuch as that thought's mentioned, it does lead us to see that at least the concept of thanksgiving goes far, far back in time before the days of the pilgrims because God himself so frequently spoke about it. It might also be fair to say that for some, the Thanksgiving holiday is an especially meaningful time of the year, a time that is somewhat unencumbered or untainted with commercialization, a holiday that seems to be yet on the side of innocence and purity and simplicity, a time when families gather and enjoy the finer considerations of a meal and togetherness and the kindness that they may feel one toward another. As noble and as useful as those thoughts may well be, might we at least ask today about the biblical significance of the concept of thanksgiving? Might we speak about the character of what the passages of the scriptures will lead us to see about the nature of it, the powerful role that it ought to play? At the bottom of that screen, I've listed some of the things to which we'll turn our attention, reminding ourselves of what it means to be thankful, reminding ourselves of the importance of thanksgiving, reminding ourselves of the means by which thanksgiving is displayed and exhibited. All of that shall be, of course, an interesting set of discussions, and Psalm 116 will be a critical element in that as we offer thanksgiving to God. First, might I suggest we define it. What is it that we mean by thanksgiving? And as we consider that more broadly, it will lead us to that 116th Psalm at some point in the discussion shortly to come. Thanksgiving. The very word itself simply means the offering of appreciation to someone for something that that person is, something that that person has done, or something that that person is doing. And in a very simple way, it means really no more than that. As we've noted earlier, those pilgrims felt a keen sense of appreciation for the difficulties and great problems that they had overcome in that winter by virtue of the blessing of God. And Thanksgiving originated, as, at least as history records for us, the holiday that is, in the very way of offering or appreciating that to God. You and I can easily see that there are many things that happen for us daily that would warrant our appreciation. The kindness of a friend, the helpfulness of a mate, the good feelings or good things shown by a neighbor, that kind sacrifice shown by one spouse to, toward another in the overcoming of some rather amazing difficulty. As far as a child, that child may come to realize the sacrifice, the inconvenience that a parent exhibits so that the child can do that which he or she might prefer and like to do. There are many things that should lead us to want to say thank you. 
there are many events that happen fairly often that at, loss, at least should lead to a sense of gratitude within us. In fact, in the family circumstance, as well as even in broader circles, how often we appreciate that we do not live as hermits. We do not live alone. Rather, we touch the lives of others and they touch our life. How often is that touch a positive one in which it would not at all be inappropriate to express a note of gratitude or appreciation for something that that person is, for something that person has done, or something that person continues to do. To say those ideas about thanksgiving lead us to say pretty quickly that thanksgiving is more than just a word. It should really be a far more critical element of the life of the person interested in serving God than just one day a year. It ought to be a more lively and vital aspect in which we understand that not only others, but of course majorly, God has done so very much for us and continues to do that daily. Thanksgiving. I've listed a couple of thoughts that help us see that even in the terms of thanksgiving, the Bible more than once illustrated it. In Ruth 2, verse 13, in that day of the long past, we recall that Ruth had been in a very difficult situation in that her husband had died, her father-in-law had died, she and her mother-in-law had moved back to the area in the Palestine region. And all the while, they were in need of providing for themselves. When she came to glean in the fields of Boaz, she thanked him for his kindness and his gratitude for allowing her to glean in his fields. What a noble example of saying thank you. In 2 Timothy 1, did not the Apostle Paul, even in the greatness of his inspired character, record forevermore a note of thanksgiving to Onesiphorus? He oft refreshed me. Paul, in fact, stated to him how thankful he was for the man named Onesiphorus. We might then recognize that when you and I have that opportunity, we should not let those pass by without using that time to say thank you, to exhibit that. But that's really not the primary thrust of the lesson this morning because our interest, again, is to see how that, that thanksgiving exhibits itself in us in our service toward our Heavenly Father. This Thursday, many shall be thankful for a fine, bountiful table. Many shall be thankful for the loved ones and friends and family that are gathered by. And that's a wonderful and a noble blessing indeed. We should be thankful for that. Understanding that that family, if properly, in fact, engaged in, is a very foretaste of heaven itself. But can we not say that the Bible encourages us not only to realize the physical blessings that we enjoy from the bounty of God's hand, but oh, how magnificent are those spiritual blessings that He has so lavishly placed upon us. Those blessings, in fact, if we think about them, they will not let us forget the physical ones. I would ask you to think with me about Psalm 116. As we start looking at these passages, they were read in our hearing just a moment ago. Let's read them again one at a time and share some thoughts based upon the text of this reading. Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? We should remember that David, the writer, the psalmist, set before us here a very basic question. And does it not prompt us to at least think, when others do that which is noble and unrequested upon our behalf, 
Is it not easily able for us to say thank you and exhibit to them our appreciation for their thoughtfulness toward us? David, in fact, expresses similar considerations. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? There's not a one of us within the confines of this building who could not spend the rest of this day listing the blessings we've enjoyed from the hand of God. Be they physical or be they spiritual, they are so many in number. There are songs in our songbook that prompt us to ponder and to think, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Again, I doubt we could finish that listing if we tried the rest of the day. That's how good God has been to us. And David prompts us to ask the very noble question, what shall I give him? What can I possibly render to him to express my thanks, my gratitude, the heartfelt appreciation that I have to him? As we consider the very nature of that question, let me just ask you to list a few. Some of them should be the ones that will be brought to note this Thursday. Food. There are those around our world who starve and who probably have in a month less than what you and I have at one meal in a day. That's the kind of world in which we live. It may seem incredibly unfair. However, that's the state of affairs that exist, isn't it? However, think not only about food, but just something as simple as water. You and I seem to have that, at least in many instances, in a plenty. But yet so many have, in fact, any water that they do have is contaminated. It is unfit to use, and yet that's all that they have. We live in a land so blessed with natural resources, and you and I are so blessed to be able to use them. We have freedoms, capabilities to assemble even as we are now, and others around the world must do so only under threat of imprisonment. Isn't that amazing? Are we thankful for those kinds of things? Do we express that to God as often as we should? Do we just sometimes bow our head and rather than asking God and petitioning Him for so many things, just say, God, I thank you. I appreciate it. Help me to be mindful of it. And let me express that to you in the ways that I'm able to do. We often see in the words of the psalmist, this is but one example, that he seemed so keenly aware of how much he owed to God. But not only that, could we also ponder the spiritual blessings that I did not specifically mention, the capability of being a Christian, the capability of being a part of the church, and the blessing of eternal life that's promised to the faithful. All spiritual blessings are in Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 3. As that text opens, in fact, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The blessing, of course, belongs to God. As such, might we also consider Philippians 4 19. As Paul drew near the close of that Philippian letter, he said, But my God shall supply all your wants. All your wants. That was Paul's promise. That was the Holy Spirit's promise through Paul. May we understand that our needs should be supplied by the bountiful goodness of God through the gracious blessing of His Son. That thought alone prompts us to ask the same question as the psalmist did. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? Once we're willing to ask that question, we're ready to look at his answer. In fact, verse number 13 begins to consider the psalmist's answer. Let's read that verse and look at it as well. 
Noting again the question he is asked, this is how the psalmist replies, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. In regard to God's gracious blessing and deliverance and the offer of the salvation that he had made, the psalmist said, I will accept it. And in addition to that, verse 13, I will call upon the name of the Lord. As I look over the audience, I see, of course, very many who have responded beautifully and lovingly to the offer of God. He offered His Son and thus offered a way of salvation, and we have gladly accepted it. However, we all know of those who haven't. To this point in their life, they have turned back upon the nature of God's offer. They've, they've refused it. They have rejected it. They have refused to humble themselves in thankful obedience to that which He's commanded. It can almost bring a tear to our eye when we think of that degree of unappreciation. For if we truly appreciate what God has done, we can do nothing but humbly bow before Him and simply say, God, what wilt thou have me to do? When Paul on the road to Damascus had that bright light shine about him, he had spent his days prior to that in rebellion to God, for he was convinced that that which was stated by Christianity was false. He was a devout Pharisee, a Jew. And yet, on that road to Damascus, when he talked with the Savior, he very clearly and powerfully had his mind changed and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Was Paul thankful? Was he appreciative of the fact that now he was no longer a rebellious servant to the very Savior, but rather an humble and submissive servant to him? And as such, there is only one response. What will you have me do? You and I can't be thankful to someone if we refuse to accept that which is their wish. When they have so kindly expressed that to us and we run roughshod over their feelings, have we shown them any thankfulness? Have we been gra gracious to them? Of course not. It's the same with God. How can we possibly be thankful to Him, really, if we ignore what He says? If we take His words and let them go in one ear and out the other and pay no attention, no heed, no character of obedience to that which he has declared. Thus, in thanksgiving, the psalmist first says, I will take the cup of salvation. God, I will lend an ear to that which you've proclaimed. That cup of salvation that you have so kindly and mercifully presented, I'll happily take it. And what's more, I'll call upon the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord reminds us of the grandeur of what God's name brings. He is the ruler of this universe, isn't He? He is the absolute controller of all of it. And thus, when we call upon His name, we're calling upon the highest and most noble of all names. In Romans 10, 13, we're reminded that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's necessary for you and me to make proper calling upon His name, even if we are to enjoy the benefits and blessings of eternal life. We learn in 1 John 5 verse 3 that His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. They are not that which causes us to be of great displeasure. You see, when we call upon the name of the Lord and when we take that cup of salvation, we are in essence doing that which is for our good. But even that isn't all. What else did the psalmist say he would do? Verse number 14. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. 
We discussed at least briefly in the Bible study class this morning about that how in those ancient days it wasn't unusual for vows to be made in regard to religious matters. That is, oaths that bound the individual to some activity in service to God. Here, the psalmist says, I will pay that which I vowed to God. I won't renege on that promise. I won't optionally refuse to consider it. I'll do that which I've promised. You and I consider ourselves in a similar situation, do we not? We each, upon becoming Christians, have made a profession to God. In fact, in Acts 8.37, when Philip, when Philip baptized that eunuch, or at least shortly before that, there was a condition or prerequisite to it. What was it? He said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The eunuch, without hesitation, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Thus he pronounced an absolute profession in the hearing of witness, in this case Philip, that he believed with all his heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that affirmation would be the guiding and leading directive through the remainder of his days. Is it any different for you and me? When we profess Jesus to be the Son of God and believe that with all of our heart, then in attitude of gratitude for their following, we should seek then to do His will. And that should be the leading and powerful guide through the rest of our life. We're His child, the child of God. In fact, the name we wear is Christian. That is to say, we are one of the disciples of Christ. Those kinds of thoughts are rather penetrating and profound, aren't they? They remind us of what it means to be thankful, to be grateful. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. Notice something interesting. Even in the presence of others, the psalmist was more than happy to fulfill his obligations to God. Are you and I sometimes as happy to publicly engage in service and acknowledgement of God? It's true that our society has reached the point when so often that is not looked upon pleasantly anymore. It's far more likely that we're tempted to hide our service to God, to conceal the fact that we're servants of His. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to do that. Maybe we should more powerfully strive to be that example to others who no doubt are watching and who are aware of the fact that we ourselves proclaim to be Christians Maybe we should show that more openly, at least sometimes. It is the case that he said in verse 14, in the presence of all his people. No doubt one of the most interesting and powerful of the public means to serve him is the assembly of the saints. Does that excite us the way that it should? If we're thankful unto God for being saved from sin, for the gift of his Son, for the eternal hope of heaven, we should look forward to those times ever desirous of meeting with the saints, encouraging others, and most notably magnifying the name of God. The services should be the highlights of our week. They should be those times that encourage us so powerfully as if we are running on batteries. Those are the times our batteries are recharged. Those are the times our faith is edified and we're able to make it to that next opportunity of service. Do the services excite us in the way that they should? It may be that this verse alone challenges us in that way. Are we as stern in providing our vow to God as we promised we would be? After all, He is to be first in our life. He is a jealous God and He has no equal. 
Maybe these verses, though, lead us directly to the next one. You might note the psalmist, in fact, seems to build in his discussion. For after verse 14, he now notes, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There is really no question to the fact, to the fact that the greatest of all gifts was the Son. When Jesus came to this low ground of sin and sorrow, it was, in, in effect, as follows. Mankind had separated himself from God because of sin. As such, we were undeserving of the blood of Jesus, undeserving of the gift of his life. And yet Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. God gave that gift. Did we deserve it? Did we earn it? Of course not. For in fact, Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest gift, of course, was that of the Son, which made possible everlasting life. We would never be able to express properly our thanks to God in words for that gift. But yet, by living a life of faithful obedience, by those who are thankful for the opportunity to be a child of God, we can live in a way that God can use us to encourage others and bring others to know Him. And as such, we can be a powerful testimony for good, for His cause. And on that great and final day, not that we will have deserved it, but by His gracious goodness and mercy, He will grant unto us everlasting life. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. There's no question it brings a note of sadness to you and me when a dear loved one, a sainted loved one, passes away. It leaves a void, a hole in our life, if you will. But might we think from a different perspective for just a moment. If that person was a child of God, having had his or her sins washed away with the blood of Jesus and lived faithfully until death, is their current state better than what it was here? Are they in a state of bliss and joy and happiness as was Lazarus in Luke 16? We should remember the writer of Revelation declared in Revelation 14, 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. It's true that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel 33. But it's also true that it's a precious thing with one of him, when one of his saints passes from this life. For that saint is in a better place. It's not unusual for you and me to attend a funeral and hear that statement that he or she is now in a better place and sometimes you and I know better. That person has not lived in such a way as, describ as described by the Bible to be in such a blessed situation. But nonetheless, the statement is made. We know for certain that that's true of the saints because God has said so. Those who have lived faithfully, those who have in fact paid their devotion to God and have not gone back upon that promise. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Doesn't that also lead us to see in verse 16? O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. To proclaim ourselves as God's servant is not a light or trivial matter. Now there are those upon earth who may be servants to a prince or servants to a king or at least in earlier days in our own country they were slaves to someone else. They may have been servants in the physical flesh. But here spiritually the psalmist said, 
what are some of the benefits that I can render unto God for His great benefits to me? I'll be His servant. I'll serve Him. I'll live faithfully to Him. I'll do that which He has bade me do. Doesn't that challenge you and me in the same way? What about the plan of salvation? Are you and I thankful for that? We can't be a servant unless we obey it. How often have we thanked God for the simplicity of the gospel plan of salvation? God could have had any number of things to be the case for us to be a child of His, and yet it's as simple as this. You must believe in His Son. You must repent of your sins. You must confess His name as the only begotten Son of God, and you must be baptized. We should not forget that Naaman wanted some great thing to be pronounced upon him, and it would seem from the language he would have been happy to do it. Finally, the logic of his servants encouraged him, given that he would have done a great thing. He has asked you to do some simple thing. Ought you not to do it? Finally, Naaman came to his senses and did it, and found the great blessing to be cleansed and healed from leprosy. God has asked of us to comply with that plan of salvation and following that then to live in humble devotion and service to Him. Are we thankful for those things? The guiding hand of, that He presents in our life day by day. At the very bottom of that screen, I've asked you to consider what a profession of completeness this statement is. In fact, it is stated twice. I am thy servant. I am thy servant. The psalmist left no question or doubt that one of the benefits, one of the acts of gratitude that he would be able to state would simply be a servant of God. I'd submit to you that still is one of the greatest things that you and I have the capability of doing. Among all things, God doesn't ask that we do some great thing in the sense of emptying our bank account, making sure we devote it to Him. He doesn't ask that we go and live as an outcast or a hermit on the desert sands of Africa. He asks that wherever you are, you put me first. You serve me. And we all can do that. We can be examples for him in our families, at the workplace, in the community. We can hold forth the banner of Christianity and encourage others to come to know the simplicity and goodness of the great God of heaven who has so abundantly blessed us. As verse number 16 ends, Thou hast loosed my bonds. That seems to have such a dramatic impression for you and me. Perhaps the psalmist had in mind physical bondage in some way or fashion. But isn't it not the case that he has loosed us from the bonds of sin? You and I were shackled by virtue of sin at some former day in life. And now as Christians, those shackles have been removed and we no longer are those servants to sin. In fact, Paul addressed that very point in Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 16, he said, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, and being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Isn't that a lovely text? To the Romans, Paul said, you were at one point the servants of sin, but those shackles have been removed and you are now the servants of righteousness. Each of us who are Christians know exactly what that means. Though we may occasionally stumble and fall and do that which is displeasing to God, we know that the blood of Christ is there to cleanse and we know what it means to no longer be a servant of sin. 
but rather a servant of that which is right. It is interesting that as we reach the conclusion of that text in Psalm 116, verse 17 is the very statement I use as the title of our lesson. Perhaps you've already noticed that. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Offering God the sacrifice of thanksgiving is the final point of our lesson is now set before us. Might we ask what it means to offer God the sacrifice of thanksgiving? Let me submit to you that one of the Old Testament significances of that is probably a bit removed from you and me today. You see, among the various offerings that the children of Israel, those subject to the law of Moses, were required to offer was a thank offering. Now, there were a host of various offerings, like peace offerings and sin offerings and burnt offerings and trespass offerings and various other varieties, but one was a thank offering, T-H-A-N-K. In fact, express examples of where that was offered is found in 2 Chronicles 29 as well as 2 Chronicles 33. In those instances, we notice that they were offered due to the expressed feeling of gratitude on the part of the offerer to God. They were thanking Him for the expressed blessings exhibited toward them. Now, in light of that point, might we at least ponder the following fact. That thus means that when they offered a thank offering, it required a sacrifice literally upon their behalf. That is to say, they had to choose some animal or some other entity and physically give it up in order to produce the thank offering. Today, do you and I sacrifice in any sense for God? We know as far as the sacrifice for sins, that's already been taken care of. Christ paid that price. But in a different way, does our service to God cost us anything? When I give, do I truly give as I have been prospered because I'm so thankful for what God has done for me? If it doesn't hurt any, one would have to ask, am I sacrificing at all? Am I giving God the crumbs of what's left over after I've done with my money what I want to do? If that's the case, I'm not sacrificing. I'm simply giving God what's left. God demands that we purposely give as He's prospered us. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 as well as 1 Corinthians 16. Thus, our giving is but one way in which we are able to express our gratitude. I'll offer God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. But yet in other ways, what about my service daily? Do I feel persecuted because of my loyalty to Jesus? We're promised that we will if we serve Him. Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you and I aren't suffering any persecution, if we're not encountering any difficulties, then perhaps we should ask, am I thus living godly each day? If others can't see that, they won't persecute me. These are fair questions, aren't they? The psalmist openly presented them for us to consider. I will offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perhaps as we close our lesson this morning, it'd be fair for us to note two New Testament examples. In Acts, the fifth chapter, we read about two individuals, namely Peter and John. It had been the case they had been beaten for the cause of Christ and told expressly, you do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And yet, just as soon as they were beaten right back to the place of preaching, they'd go to proclaim the same message that they had just been told not to preach. As that chapter reached its conclusion, we see a bit about the feeling of their heart. 
it says they rejoiced over the fact they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. Does that sound to you like individuals who were truly thankful and with a heart filled with gratitude for what Christ had given to them and the mere meager means that they were able to, in fact, serve Him? That's exactly the, the description, isn't it? Do you and I feel that same sense of thankfulness and gratitude? So much so that even in the case of hardship, we still can thank God that He allows us to be His servant. Paul felt the same way, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians 10, or 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 10. There is he made listing of that thorn in the flesh that had so often bothered him. He finally noted in verse number 10 the very promise of God concerning that matter when he said that in distresses and persecutions and difficulties and necessities, when I am weak, then, then am I strong. Maybe you and I then today have been reminded of how important it is to be thankful. Not just this coming Thursday, but yea, all year long as we think about how blessed we have been due to the graciousness and goodness of God. Those thoughts lead me to conclude our lesson perhaps with one final slide. There's no question that the very idea of thanksgiving is a biblical one, and it's a lovely one. And as we consider it, may we not only this week, but year around, be often those who express our thanksgiving to God for all His benefits toward us. And in response to that, may we note again what the psalmist did. First, he said he'd take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Secondly, he also noted that the character of the preciousness of the death of the saints in verse 15. He went on to affirm that he would in fact proclaim publicly in the presence of all the benefits that God had been to him. Finally, I'll offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Each of us have the opportunity to do something similar. That would begin, of course, by obeying the gospel, taking that cup of salvation. Are you a member of the Lord's body today, a faithful Christian and thankful at that? If you are, then continue that walk of life all the way until the end of your days here upon the footstool of God. But if you have never become a Christian, let today be the day that you, in fact, make a public pronunciation of your confession in Jesus. And what's more, to allow yourself to be immersed in water to bury that old man of sin rising to walk in newness of life. If we could aid you in doing that today, we'd certainly be happy to do so. But if you have become a Christian and need to rededicate your life because you have ceased to be thankful, you've lost sight of the whole purpose of Christianity and have not allowed the very nature of humble service to be the guide in your life, come back to that first love today. Again, work in yourself a notion of understanding how thankful we can and should be. And if we could help you in either of those ways today, we'd be happy to do so even now while together we stand and sing.